Well, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> We've got lots of different uh, kind of avenues and questions, but we're so grateful for, for Todd and, and hopefully Herrick uh, joins in as well. Uh, he had messaged me earlier today, so I'm assuming he's just running a little bit late. Um, but yeah, uh, we've had some people kind of like pre-submit some questions. I've brainstormed some. I'm just going to kind of start off with a couple just to get us pointed in, in a direction. But um, so, uh, Todd, do you know, because a lot of us are very new to uh, John Pontius's works and, and things like that. Where is this book in the timeline of other things that he's written? Um, was this like... Uh, prior to uh, Visions of Glory and his stuff with Spencer and the, the blog Unblog My Soul itself? Or like, where does this kind of fit in the timeline? This, I believe, is the last book. Okay. Um, or maybe right before Visions. Um, he, as I understand it, he um, was really, really sick when this was written. Like he was pretty much bedridden. And so the research was being done. Um, and he was kind of getting himself out of bed and pretty much felt like the spirit just completely directed the whole process because he was so sick at the time. It's kind of what make, makes this book kind of doubly remarkable. Not only is it like the best accumulation of statements um, and prophecies and scriptures and how it's organized on the doctrine of Zion, but also in context of John Bean physically almost incapacitated at the time of its writing it really is a testament to the lord wanting it to be out so, mm -hmm. it's cool huh it's kind of yeah. interesting yeah, yeah i mean not really he was sick but he he persevered and endured so it could be um published mm -hmm. yeah for sure hey todd uh camera hey, hey how's it going <laughs> good yeah, so um, we just kind of started off with one question here, and it was just kind of like, where is this book along John's timeline? Uh, you know, because some of us are, are pretty new to, to John Pontius and just kind of wondering if this was like prior or after Visions of Glory kind of thing. And anyway, oh, so sure. I'm just going to answer in some of that. Um, but oh, great. Uh, yeah. And by the way, let me introduce myself really quick. Yeah. Um, my name is Herrick Mielstein. Um, I'm Terry Pontius's nep uh, nephew. And her, her maiden name is Mielstein. Uh, yeah. As well. That's so fun to. Uh, so, how long? Like, <laughs> I, I'm pretty new to uh, John Pontius and stuff. So, we're um, in the fact, because he was married previously, right, to Terry. And, like, how long had they been married before he started writing, or had he already started writing, kind of thing? Yeah. So, uh, I'll have to, to share the a little more of the backstory. So, he was. He was married um, for about uh, 25 plus years uh, prior to Terry. And um, he wrote um, his first book, Following the Light of Christ into His Presence, um, around 1994 and um, had some huge trials that led to that um, writing that book. And uh, after that, um, so there were quite a, quite a bit of opposition to the book after it was published. Um, there was no, no publisher would actually um, take it. So he, he uh, paid $6,000 of his own money and, and, uh, and printed it. And then eventually um, 
became, you know, more, more well-known. But um, then his second book, he did some, uh, some fictional writing actually. Um, and it eventually became uh, what we've republished as the Journey to Zion series or um, Angels of Fire and uh, Fire of the Spirit. That's his fictional uh, story, kind of the, the fictional version of, of the first book. And then uh, next, he did one um, called uh, We Three Kings. It's another fictional story. Um, but then he did Triumph of Zion. And uh, after Triumph of, uh, so he had been studying um, about Zion and uh, for many years, I believe that came out in 2010, uh, 2009, 2010. And I think it's 10. Yeah, 2010. And uh, he was astounded what he found. And then you've read his preface of the book and everything. And it, and he was able to, um, to publish this book. And the, the people that have reviewed it, at least the, there were some, uh, some well known um, authors who uh, and other uh, scholars, and they said this is one of the most important books spiritual books that, that have been written because it brings together the grand possibilities that most of us didn't realize existed. And, um, and then uh, about a year and a half later, he wrote Visions of Glory. Um, and then he passed away in December of 2012. Okay. Yeah, that, that really helps put kind of together that timeline and, and stuff there. Uh, I didn't realize like the fictional stuff was so far ahead, you know, since it's just uh, kind of coming out and being published right now, especially with Angels of Fire. Some of us are, are starting into those as well. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so it's just kind of fun to kind of see where all the pieces fit in and stuff. But, yeah. So um, I, I know both of you are, are kind of involved, well, kind of <laughs> heavily involved in the Isaiah Institute as well. It seems like many of our, our groups have kind of found them almost simultaneously, uh, either right on the hills of each other. Why do you think that is? And like kind of a follow-up question to that, but you can answer whatever. But um, I imagine like John and Spencer and Avraham all having like these amazing like spiritual powwow group meetings. Did John know Avraham or... Um, anything anyway, uh, he, just kind of knew, all that. Yeah, so John uh, knew about Avraham, but they've never really connected. Um, it's interesting, Avraham, uh, his first exposure to John's works was uh, Visions of Glory. Okay. And we know Avraham really, really likes that book and uh, has talked a lot about it. In fact, it's pretty rare. I think Avraham said in his words that he even reads other books like he doesn't really venture out into the literature being published you know surrounding a lot of things and so this was a really unique thing for him to read and be moved by and inspired by um right. and to sort of connect into so it's a unique thing for Abraham to be um energized by something like this don't you think Herrick oh yeah very rare <laughs> um, especially I would say um other scholarly writing. He doesn't um, usually um, read or think, think. Comment so. on or 
<laughs> yeah, comment too much about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Let's go with Kathy. Um, I kind of wondered if this book, Triumph of Zion, was written after he did the interview with Spencer because Spencer mentioned that in the conference center that Christ himself um, talked to people and he said, if you want to know what that is, but he said, study Zion. So I thought this book was after that because I thought maybe this was everything he studied, but you're saying that John already wrote this book, right? Yeah, in 2010, it was released and Visions of Glory was released two years later, 2012. Just and it really did help him though. Like it helped him understand and process a lot of when those early interviews with, with Spencer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, already have written this book and having so many um, insightful revelation that it helped him understand what he's saying. Exactly. Yeah, it was a almost a preparation that you can think about uh, so that he was, it was so prepared to write Visions of Glory because he had yeah. written, written this other book first. Wow, that is amazing. I thought that it was opposite. I thought that he took Spencer's talk what he said there and then went in and studied it but that's amazing that's like almost a miracle it is <laughs> thank you uh-huh. let's go with Laura he said that when he was writing the triumph of Zion that he was really sick and he could hardly get out of bed to do that but he had energy to do two years later to do that book with Spencer that's a miracle right there right it, it indeed was. And in fact, that's also, oh, I, sh I should have mentioned too, uh, Journey to the Veil was another book that was released um, after um, Visions of Glory, but it was written, those blogs, um, if you've read that book, were, were actually written by John in 2010 and 2011, those two years. Um, and so then those were compiled and yes, um, he was very weak during that time. And as you, if you've read that book, you know how many um, medical challenges he had during that time, uh, especially in Costa Rica, he was doing this uh, medical tourism to save money. It didn't go too well <laughs> as if you read that book. So it, it is a miracle that he had um, the strength. He was given six months to live with colon cancer um, but they tried some things and, and kind of helped for a while. Uh, but really the Lord, he knows the, the timeline of our lives and, and they're no shorter than, than he, he wants them to be. So he preserved John's life so that he could accomplish that mission. So I just started reading visions of glory with my mother. She's in a care home in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Conversations are always pretty negative and it, so can I just read a book with you or can we do something and so I, I read the introduction um, tonight to her and um, I think it, it's really resonating with her I'm excited and this will be my third time through I read it myself I read it with my children but that's been I guess when it came out like 10 I don't know it's been 10 years and then I feel like I needed to put it on a shelf and just receive revelation and understand for myself how things are supposed to happen and I didn't want that influence I think I've kind of forgotten a lot of visions of glory but um, going through triumph of Zion and then um, reading how 
Spencer and um, John connected, what a miracle that, and what a miracle that he could help Spencer understand, just reading the introduction, understand what Spencer had had gone through, his his visions and his journey. I mean, he'd already had he'd already had seen those kind of things already. That's really cool. Such yeah. a miracle. Yeah, it was. And and if you've uh, if you've heard of the we mentioned Angels of Fire, that fictional series, um, that's another example of this actually where in all the way back in 94 95 actually this would have been 95 i think it's the year after he wrote uh in the summer of 95 uh about <clears throat> about 1200 pages of fiction that outlined this whole process of coming to zion and becoming and following the spirit and what happens when you do that right in a fictional way but during one part of that fictional story of course, he weaves a lot of his own life into that, but uh, in one part of, of, of that uh, Angels of Fire book um, that he was writing, he actually saw in vision all the way back then, um, people coming uh, from Russia to Cardston, Canada, uh, being led by, uh, uh, you know, these kind of 144,000. And then you fast forward you know, 15 years or so, and then he meets Spencer, and then Spencer shares this part about Cardston, and he's like, you can imagine how that resonated, right? And uh, that he had written that down 15 years earlier in his own experience, so. Mm -hmm. Eric, don't you think, um, <clears throat> correct me if you think this is an untrue observation, <laughs> but, um, you know, when you talk to Spencer, he, even though he saw things so comprehensively in his own personal vision, and he saw so much, he didn't necessarily see it in the time frame sequentially that you get in Visions of Glory. Um, it's all his vision, but it's not necessarily the, the, the arc narrative that he saw. And so John was kind of like the glue helping him to kind of put it into a sequence um, and that's kind of important to know. Like, I think John was especially prepared to kind of help him tell mm -hmm. the story and make it consumable because he saw so much, but it's not necessarily in the way you read Visions of Glory that it happened like a story, like he's watching a movie <laughs> sequentially. Right. Yeah, like in the 50 hours of interviews that, that John and Tom, uh, uh, Spencer uh, did, in those 50 hours, um, it was talking about, you know, a certain piece of his experience and then he would jump to another part or he would share this memory or whatever. And then John would ask follow all these follow-up questions and then was able to assemble it into an actual readable book that, that makes sense, you know? And he said, it was amazing to, to watch that. Um, and I think Spencer said it would have been hard for him to write that book by himself does that make sense and i think i think spencer would appreciate us making giving this sort of caveat which is <clears throat> i think he's the first to say i don't know what is literal and what was showing me as an allegory or as a metaphor 
And so it's really important, like if, if you were to ask him about it and he doesn't talk about it and that's good of him, I think. Like he doesn't promote it. He doesn't go out and like give firesides and stuff like that. Um, he's, he wants to stay very, very low profile and not a, as a person associated with, with the book. Um, but he would say, if you're reading that book and you're coming away wanting to be a better prepper, he's like, you missed the point. The point of this book is to repent <laughs> and to develop a, a deep desire to spiritually prepare. And um, the idea behind it is, is that <clears throat> he doesn't want you to think, okay, these are the events that you have to watch for physically. You know, don't watch, be watching the news that all these things happen. Take it as a an allegory or a metaphor of the type of patterns that will manifest, but more than anything, you should repent and come to the Lord spiritually. And that is the best way, the best thing that you can come away from reading those books is with the spirit of repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that resonates a lot because, you know, it, it, it is kind of a controversial book, depending on who's reading it at what point in their, their journey and stuff. But but if you've taken it totally literal, uh, you kind of miss that point. So I really like that. Uh, you need to come out of it with that, that spirit of repentance and, and really going into there. Yeah. Um, so let's see some of my other questions here. Um, where was Triumph of Zion in your guys's personal journey? Um, I, I imagine both of them are, are very different, but, um, and what other books and, and things would you recommend as uh, helped you on your journey as well? Um, I know I, I connected with Joshua Mariano and he sent over a lot of the the sources and research that went into Triumph of Zion that's kind of extracurricular, but um, so we've been kind of studying that a little bit here and there. Um, but what other things are, are helpful? Uh, many of us are, are just kind of starting to, to wake up and, and realize um, uh, some of these, these higher things. Um, <laughs> I don't know, everybody words it a different way, but anyway, what's your guys's journey and, and how would you uh, give us other training wills that that help us in in our own personal journeys Wanna go first herrick <laughs> sure um you know what i would say is a is a, a balanced spiritual foundation so one of the things that uh, can easily happen is you, is we get when we realize that the gospel is actually real and there are literal um, things to, uh, to look forward to and, and uh, in, incredible uh, potential, infinite potential that, and the things and the, and the blessings um, are, are, uh, are available, not in a, in a, in a kind of a selfish sense, but, but in a, in a way that the Lord wants to empower us, when we realize that that is available, what there's a, a there's a danger of becoming overzealous. There's a danger of of getting so excited to to run and and obtain those things on our own pace. And so, what I would say is to that the Spirit, the Lord wants us to receive things as fast as we are able to receive them, but 
it's kind of like um, the straight and narrow path. It begins in a in a in a way that everyone can can get onto the path. But over as you progress on the path, it's more and more narrow, right? Until at, at some point there's this, you know, almost razor's edge. And the only way you can stay um, on that path is by being balanced. Does that make sense? You don't want to be too overzealous or uh, un, or, or uh, like on one side, on one hand, you have, um, you know, want to accelerate the process and run ahead of the spirit. But on the other hand, you get discouraged and fall away, right? Mm -hmm. And, and hey, things, things aren't um, happening the way I, I thought, right? So what I would say is, is patience and follow the, the pace in which the spirit um, is leading and guiding. And, and then always have the love of the Savior and a desire to serve others. And did it cut out for anybody else? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry about that. We'll uh, see really quick. It pops on. Believing that all of these things are. Did I lose you? Uh, you're back now. Okay. Overcoming unbelief is such an important aspect of that, but always being led by the spirit at the Lord's timing and pace uh, in, in total balance is a, a really a key thing. Todd? Yeah, amen to that. Um, so I got married a little bit later in life, um, in 2009. And when my wife and I were dating, I actually gave her a copy of Following the Light. <laughs> um, it was like a really profound book for me. Um, you know, kind of when it came out and, um, in our, in our first couple of years of marriage, we were sitting on the couch one evening and we both kind of had this feeling like we should study Zion. We looked on Amazon and we saw this book called Triumph of Zion. Like, oh, this is the same author as wrote the, uh, following the light book. Let's get this. And we started reading it and we had a really profound experience with it. The Lord, we were living in Arizona and we had a succession of events that moved us within a couple weeks to Utah. It was, it was it's kind of an interesting story. We found ourselves there very, very quickly and about the same time. The Lord told us both in a revelation that we would move. And neither of us wanted to move to Salt Lake. And then I came home, we came home from a trip and my bishop sat me down and says, hey, I'm releasing you from your calling. You're going to Utah. I got a revelation. We're like, what? <laughs> so we were out. We went to Salt Lake and um, it was there um, very quickly that I met all of the friends that we have that around John Pontius. And um, this was right after he passed. Um, at that time, personally, my own path was I immersed myself in Joseph Smith. Um, I got the book Words of Joseph Smith. So if you want something to put into your, your bookshelf and to study, I put that in the top one, two or three things that you read and study into perpetuity, like over anything. This is... These are the sermons of Joseph Smith during the Nauvoo period in succession. So you can read him um, and immerse yourself in that. And so on the bookshelf, um, of course, I love John's books and I love Avraham Gileadi's works. Um, they've been core to my own um, development, but Joseph Smith is 
really, really important to me and everybody. Um, uh, words, words of Joseph Smith is the name of that book. Words and of Joseph the, Smith. Yeah. The compilation by does it have like an author or a byline? It's Andrew E. Hat in okay. uh, in Linden. Um, it's out of print. In fact, it's like three or four hundred dollars. <laughs> I'll send you a PDF of it. Okay. And uh, I'll put a link. Have I, I have it. I'll put a link to it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, we've been working with Andrew E. Hat for like five years, six, seven years to get it republished. And it's just taking way longer than we all thought. So I'll give you the PDF for it. <laughs> um, but that's supposed to be being republished so you can get it cheap, but it's, it's not happening anytime soon. Um, so word to Joseph Smith. And then, okay, I know this is cliche, but, and I'm not saying it to be cliche, but like, you know, go to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Start with, start with like DNC 84 and read it 20 times <laughs> and write down every question that comes to your mind about DNC 84 and chase it down for two months. And then go to Alma 13 or go to Mosiah 3, chapters 3 through 5 and read that. Just read that for a month and every question that comes to you, write it down and chase it. And to be really honest, I don't read that much at all outside of scriptures, really. Like, and I read Joseph Smith and that, I mean, personally, my time is, my plate is full with that. And I don't imagine exhausting that in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. so um know the scriptures so well that i don't know i'm sorry i don't yeah. I, I can't emphasize. i mean everybody knows this it's obvious but yeah start with maybe dnc 84 that's top of mind for me right now is 84 and you learn zion you learn the doctrine of zion you read dnc 84 and 107 and 50 and 93 and 88 and then alma 13 alma 12 you'll learn you learn zion what zion is and anyway um amen it's the mm -hmm. scriptures so kind of piggybacking off of that um there's there's definitely some in our group that are, are further along and, and study geniuses <laughs> but um some of us are you know, we, we feel pretty inadequate with our, our knowledge and, and things of the gospel and how to like just really deeply study. So I appreciate what you just said on, um, you know, take it and then just write down every single question that comes to mind and, and spend time with it. Like just let it marinate and, and let the spirit work on you. Any other yeah, I mean, kind of uh, well, tips and stuff? Yeah, I mean, everybody has a learning method. I think the best learning method on earth to take a question, like for example, in 84, what is the rest of the Lord? R-E-S-T, what is the rest of the Lord? And go write a three-page essay on that question. Just go write an essay and watch what happens. Yeah. Just, just, just work on the question and write it. If you write it, it nothing will clarify your mind and give you and push you into a revelatory um, posture more than writing something. Just like when you guys write talks, you know, you write a talk and you learn a bunch of stuff, you know. But go write an essay on every little question you have and, and watch what happens in three or four years. I mean, anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> and I would add that um, 
as we um, climb that ladder, um, expect some opposition too. Um, I know that uh, John uh, and both uh, and Abraham had a, what what's Abraham likes to coin as a descent phase, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've seen, uh, actually, it's both in in John's writings and in Abraham's where they have this graph, right, where you're you're at a certain spiritual level, and you you know that there's more, and you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, right? You're you're doing what Todd is is saying, and then you receive, you, you, especially as you follow the Spirit, you receive a increase. Maybe maybe it's the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, or maybe it's a burst of revelation or insight. And then you're in this honeymoon period, right? And then inevitably it slides and slips away. And then it's you, some really hard thing happens in, in your life or some other trial and you are in a descent phase. So you, you fall further than you were when you started. And it's almost inevitable to sustain because you, you were glowing with the Holy Spirit with a, a million volts of a million watts of, of spiritual energy and power. And then, but on our own, we can't retain that, right? It was this huge blessing. But the Lord lets us descend and fight for it again, right? And as we come back, following the Spirit in the face of adversity, eventually <clears throat> you arrive at the place where you were and then way beyond. So the growth that you experience in between that process, that, that descent, is what enables the next level and that and that ascent, right? Any other comments, Todd? Yeah, that's so good. Um, so I'd like to comment on what you just said now and also what you said before about the straight and narrow path. Um, I, I hate I hate saying things that are really basic. So I'm saying this for conversation's sake because I know you everybody here on this call knows this. <laughs> but you know, maybe it's helpful just to rephrase it for context. Becoming born again is primary to all learning. And by born again, we mean orienting ourselves towards the Lord so that the Holy Ghost becomes the dominant aspect of our being. So the Holy Ghost is the dominant condition of who we are. And then you're on this straight and narrow path that Herrick was talking about. And he has such good advice because the struggle with the straight and narrow path is that you can fall off both sides <laughs> very easily and you can get ahead of your ski tips very easily and you can go backwards very easily. It's this, it's this resonance that you are remaining in and you're enduring in, you're pacing yourself in. Just like what Herrick, like the balance of being in this place where you, it's like an airplane. An airplane has to have gravity lift, and thrust, right? You have to have all those things in balance to move forward. And then you go through these very natural descents and ascents like Herrick is really, really describing well. One thing that, I, so in learning, no matter what you wanna learn, you have to be in that condition because we all know that the warning that Lehi and Nephi give us is that there'll be mists of darkness 
that even though you're on that path, you will encounter mists of darkness. And we see that with a lot of our friends um, who we're close to, who um, go through those mists of darkness and then they get taken off in strange paths because of it. And we, we, we're all familiar with, with friends and people in our community of friends who, who do that. And so here's a piece of advice that the spirit gave me that I, I do not do it well, but I really try how to stay on that path. And that is this. The Lord told me that if you have charity, I'll give you clarity. So if I have charity for the church, if I have charity for my family, if my general disposition is one of love, if, if I can get into that resonance, then the Lord will give me clarity about truth. But I know that once I lose the charity, because, you know, without bringing up specifics, it's very easy to get angry or twisted or upside down about different things. You know, we, in, in church, we encounter a lot of different types of individuals, a lot of different places doing a lot of different things. And so it's easy to not have charity for the whole, the whole covenant people, right? So the Lord says, if you have charity, I'll give you clarity. Meaning it's a, it's a very difficult for me to do, but to try to stay in that place where the Holy Spirit is increasing light and charity. And, if, and if, if that's the sort of structure that I'm in personally, then revelation flows almost more than I can take it, more than I can receive and absorb. And I think that is a real key in personal growth. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I hadn't seen this chat when uh, we were on that subject, but um, so Sarah says that I've heard people know who Spencer is and the person said that he's a not a good person. I don't believe it, but please tell us a tad about him um, and uh, how anyone could say anything bad about him. I know that that's been a, a prevalent topic on uh, social media lately and stuff. So yeah, any insights into his character? I've heard some people say like, oh yeah, Spencer regretted even writing the book and, and all of that, but <laughs> there's so much to um, believe. But from people who actually know him, <laughs> any advice and calming words there? How about it? I definitely have thoughts on this, but go for it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just share. Um, I met I met Spencer at in 2015 um, at a uh, a conference, and we sat. I sat down next to him. Uh, Terry, my aunt Terry, introduced me, and I instantly knew he, this was a good man, and he had uh, he had spoken as well. Uh, as you know. Uh, he is a professional um, counselor, and um, the feeling I had when I first met him was one of profound love for, for me, and I had just met him, and he gave me some amazing advice for a challenge that I had, I had had, that it was full of love for that person that I was having a challenge with, and in the intervening years since then, um, his, he is always careful to testify of the Savior, and he does not uh, share his experiences openly. And I'll just say 
that that is not anything he wants notoriety about um and most of the times i've heard him he's talking about some scripture narrative or some scripture story right like he talks about isaiah and he'll go through these incredible um verses and so he is very careful um he is not wild with his words he doesn't want um a lot of um notoriety about his visions in fact i i can kind of confirm uh what what you heard there in in some ways he does regret sharing because it's come at a very deep personal cost it's it's caused a very deep pain in his own family in his own life you can imagine the persecution he's received from from everywhere um but when he asked the lord whether uh to publish the book because you remember he says in the preface that he uh, it was very hesitant because anytime he had shared it, it he was met with um a lot of uh, opposition right and and negativity so it but what i will say is that he has um also received i would say even more uh, positive feedback by far um and that the it's blessed so many people's lives including my own and many miracles have come uh, one one thing my aunt terry mentioned for example she was at church and this lady she had never met came up to her uh well they were just chatting in the hall you know and she terry asked her well i haven't seen you in the ward before um you know what's your story and she says you know i've been inactive and against the church for 30 years but i read this book called visions of glory and now i'm back because i realize how much i was missing and i love you know and and i'm back and so it's it's bringing people to christ and that's the intent of the book it's not to try to predict the future or any of that mm -hmm. um, and so those are a few thoughts I have. Todd? Yeah, when I first read it, I didn't like it. Um, I, I liked the first half. and The second half was too much for me to, I was like, ah, I don't know about this. And uh, this is like in 2012, 13. This is in 2013. And um, I became friends with um, one of John's best friends that year. Someone introduced us. And um, my friend called me and says, hey, you need to just try it again. So I read it again, and I had a really profound experience the second time. And then this friend of ours, it's a mutual friend of Herrick and I, Herrick's mine, Shane Holmes, calls me up and says, would you like to meet Spencer? I said, well, I would love to. Um, he had a very, very close group of friends of John Pontius, is like very close, intimate friends. And a couple of them were flying in for conference or something. So they were going to get together for a, just a little get together of their friends. He says, why don't you come with me to this? This is his little group of friends, but you can come along and say hi. And I said, well, yeah, I'd like to do that. And went to that meeting. Um, I don't call it a meeting. It was like a little, you know, friends hanging out on a couch talking, thinking that I was going to go and hear all about the last days and, you know, these crazy visions. It never even came up. And I remember just sitting in that room and the testimonies that were born I'll never forget. And 
when Spencer talked, you know, he didn't say, well, let me give you an insight into this vision. It was more, I remember him saying, you know, I've been thinking about the um, Sermon on the Mount and starts giving all this insight to the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm like, going like this, like, what is this that I'm experiencing? I, I felt the spirit so intensely. I wrote frantic notes of just things that we're, they were talking about out of the scriptures. It was not even, even talked about, you know, any type of apocalyptic vision of the future. It didn't even come up. I remember. Um, and so that started an association and a friendship with him. Uh, I guess we're pushing almost 10 years now. And, you know, say what you will about the book. It's not perfect. And of course, certain, some people are going to read it and get the wrong idea. But just what Herrick said, my experience with a lot of people who read it is they become more faithful to the church and they have a desire to repent. So what better fruit can something produce than that? And I will go to the grave defending that man. I've, I've encountered a lot of people who um, spread inaccuracies about him and his character. And um, I'm, I will go to the grave defending his genuine goodness and his desire to not be somebody. He, he dislikes it. I've never seen someone more uncomfortable with attention than him. I've been in a lot of places with him where all of a sudden I look around and he's not there anymore because he left quietly because he was suddenly very uncomfortable that, of kind of the attention he was getting. And he'll just leave. Um, he's extremely reluctant in the sense that um, he's grateful that the book has, had a, has blessed many people's lives, but it's an ever-present question on his mind of, I just hope that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do, because if it was his choice, I think he'd, he would be a thousand miles away from it. I do not think that he would ever want this book published if it was just on his shoulders. Don't you think, Eric? Yeah. He's, he's very reluctant about it, and he will not speak or give fire signs about it. Um, anyway. Yeah. And uh, thank you for that, uh, Kathy, that beautiful um, thing uh, you mentioned in the chat, how the, that book has helped you and also journey to the bell. Yeah. All right. Um, if anybody has questions, you know, feel free to raise your hand. I'll just kind of continue along some of these that were uh, pre-submitted here. Um, so with Fire of the Spirit, there's a few people that are, are reading that uh, throughout this group. Um, so how much of that is like fiction, would you say, versus what was actually experienced with like Journey to the Veil and, and things like that? And um, <clears throat> yeah, I just kind of start off. So how, what, what is uh, fact and what is fiction? Is that the question? Because uh, it's, it's mostly based upon uh, John's experiences, right? I mean, based upon, but um, yeah, what's what's facts, what's fiction kind of? Yeah, that's a great question. And it comes up a lot. Um, so I uh, was privileged to help Terry uh, edit the, the book, um, uh, Angels of Fire. And um, it was actually three books uh, that were originally published uh, when John was uh, alive. In just on the internet, it was never, it was not really published. It was just kind of released a little bit, but we we brought it in, combined into into one book. It's about six hundred something pages, and the book um, 
starts with um, you know, him with this long backstory from the first book, and it picks up his journey when he is called as a bishop. And he has some major trials in his life um, in, in the story where he uh, essentially is, um, you know, uh, have some kind of um, disciplinary or at least um, he's released as a bishop for revealing something in the book. And it's a huge uh, trial to his faith, right? And, you know, he doesn't lose his membership, but it's, it's very humiliating. Uh, John experienced something like that. Um, he never lost his membership. I want to be very clear about that. But he did experience uh, something that was humiliating to him uh, in, in, in a similar way. Um, and so what, what the story is, is basically parts and themes from his own life. But he definitely took a lot of um, liberty uh, because it is fictional. He filled in a lot of um, a lot of story that he did not experience as well. So I want to make sure everyone knows it's not um, meant to be uh, uh, like somehow uh, written in code. But this is exactly no. It's mm -hmm. it's it is. There's a lot of fiction there roughly based on his his experience and also what he hoped would happen in his own life as well does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah um let's see uh, just kind of getting to uh, some of the, in the chat here so um Let's actually go with Janet's and then uh, to Els here. So it says, what do the, the brethren say about the book? And I'm assuming Triumph of Zion is what you're referring to. Would it ever be quoted across the pulpit? <laughs> I'll let you guys handle that one. <laughs> uh, well, the quotes in it, yes, mm -hmm. but probably not uh, anything else. <laughs> it's basically a quote book, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that might be referring to um, Visions of Glory, though. <laughs> I would I would actually recommend not uh, sharing those things uh, like uh, across the pulpit because, you know, it's not that it's you know something wrong with with it or anything, but it we have to be careful to allow allow people to discover at the things at the pace in which the Spirit leads them to do. You know what I mean, and. I have been chastised by the spirit more than once for sharing things that I was not supposed to share or the person wasn't ready or maybe it wasn't even part of their, their journey, right? Like we're, we're so, what I would say is the plan of salvation is so personalized. We literally have our plan of salvation that the Lord is leading us through. And if we, we can put roadblocks or bumps in the road in other people's journey, if we don't follow the spirit in what we share, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the next question kind of takes us in a, an opposite direction. Just given Todd, if you had something to say on that, um, if not, we'll uh, um, go to the next one. Yeah, I think is it L. Um, uh -huh. I was referring to a YouTube video that was. Actually, it was put on YouTube without me knowing about it. I gave this like talk oh. at this women's group. And <laughs> it made its way to, and I found out about it like a week or two later. Um, 
was on the oath and covenant of the priesthood. Um, because of that video, I am doing a, um, a series called Lectures on Priesthood that, that is going to be posted pretty soon on YouTube. Oh, sweet. And it's just slides of, so it's a real methodical taking us through what the oath and covenant of the priesthood is, but it's, it's pretty exhaustive. Like the intro video alone is like two hours, um, which may be taking that, cutting that down significantly <laughs> or splicing it up. Anyway, um, in, in a nutshell, it's hard, it's hard to, usually in the church, we kind of think of the oath and covenant of the priesthood something that a boy or a man gets when they be when they're ordained to the priesthood um, and we need to kind of maybe restructure or broaden our understanding of what priesthood really is and what it is in in 90 seconds <laughs> is um, priesthood is an order of individuals who are ascending going through the ascension process of the doctrine of Christ of faith, repentance, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring until they are brought into the presence of the Lord. And that process of ascension you be, requires you to be a type of person. You're becoming a type of person. Your condition is being changed, and you are being capacitated um, in a certain way <clears throat> that, that capacitates you to be in the presence of the Lord. That is an order of individuals or a pattern of individuals who are capacitated and brought into his presence. At the, at the finality of those blessings that you receive, what we call generally the calling and election made sure, um, you receive oaths from the Lord and you receive covenantal blessings from the Lord that are secured upon you. Like when we say, the everlasting covenant, like the new and everlasting covenant. Everlasting means it's a covenant you're sealed into. So the oath and covenant of the priesthood is the oath you receive from the Lord of the promise of eternal life. And the covenant is the new and everlasting covenant that you're sealed into. So do women get it? Well, you receive priesthood through the process of covenants of the of the temple endowment the temple endowment is an endowment of priesthood so men and women both are um you know what i'm going to show you like a slide i'll give you one slide okay <laughs> it's a quick slide i'll show you it was so interesting how this came up. Like we were literally on that chapter of Triumph of Zion, the Oath and Covenant of the Priesthood, when that was released. It was like it was oh, really? It was it was fun. Can you can you allow me to share? Can you give me the permission? Oh, sorry. Yeah, let me. This will take. This will be literally ten seconds, so you kind of get a feel. But I'll be able to answer this question for sisters real quick. Let's see. Is that allowing it to do it now? Oh, yep. Okay. So. This is a slide in the intro. Um, can you see my screen okay? Yeah, it's there now. So in the priesthood endowment, um, we both, men and women, go through an initiatory, right? And what the initiatory is, is the initiation into the priesthood order. So when we say, I received my initiatories, well, what's the initiation? <laughs> It's into the priesthood order. And 
both men and women are washed, they're anointed, and they're clothed in the garment of the holy priesthood. Men additionally are ordained. And there's a reason why men have ordination as part of that initiation and women don't, but they're both initiated and they're both called. And Brigham Young, oops, Brigham Young is very clear. Now, brother and the man who honors his priesthood and the woman that honors her priesthood will receive an everlasting inheritance in the, in the kingdom of God. So um, I'll, 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 I just want to show you that because Mm -hmm. That shows that, yeah, women and men both receive the oath and covenant of the priesthood through fulfilling the order and pattern of the priesthood endowment. And priesthood is the process of being brought back into the presence of the Lord. And it's extraordinarily powerful. So I'm excited to uh, bear witness of this in a forthcoming series of little lectures, I guess. Is it going to be on like your own personal YouTube channel or where do we get notification that- Yeah, I'm just gonna do a YouTube channel called Lectures on Priesthood and just have it kind of dedicated. We can, uh, I'm, I'm sure Todd, you'll share it with uh, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, let's give it to you. That'll be awesome, thank you. Um, let's see. Um, and you said it will be out uh, in, shortly? Every three days, I think it's done. And then I have this deep impression, no, change this, do this. Different. <laughs> and it just keeps changing. It keeps like morphing. And it was supposed to be done like Christmas time. But I work on it two to three hours a day. And I've done so, I think like my calculations around 200 hours just on the intro video. Yeah. So, well, it's going to be great. We'll see. <laughs> you help lots of people understand that because I think it's kind of one of those very misunderstood things. I know in your presentation with Sisters of Liberty, uh, you had mentioned, um, well, Barbara Morgan Gardner was brought up and you're like, oh, I wish I could just talk to her because I think if she tweaked a couple of things, it would just really blow up for her. And um, uh, anyway, just there's so many people uh, getting insights to this, but as we all bring our our studies and thoughts together, I think it really does help expand all of our minds on, on what the Lord is um, capable of endowing us with, and, and that oath and covenant process yeah. is huge. The Lord is revealing his priesthood, and if you're faithful, it will distill upon your soul the dews of heaven, and there's a lot to distill. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to distill. Yeah, I love that. Um, so this is kind of uh, just random, but um, I just barely seen the other day where there's the Journey to the Veil Part 2 coming out. So like how much, uh, is there just like tons of file drawers of, of John's writings? Like how much more can we expect of? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it was a it was fantastic experience um, helping Terry compile the, the book and also um, an incredible experience reading all of John's personal journals to include in parts of those in the book. There were many things that were far too sacred to include, but what we what we were we felt we felt prompted to do is um, include journal entries, many of which actually John said that this will someday be published, and we're like, what? We we had never, and in fact, just before this, Terry had never read his journals. And just happened to know his password to, to even open these files. Oh, really? So anyway, it was, or she remembered, you know, a word 
anyway, it was just a miracle that, that this could even be published. But um, basically, it's all of the blog posts. It's similar to Journey to the Bell One, um, where in that uh, it's the blog posts that did not make it to the first book. But also some of the things um, are very, it's an extremely powerful book and it, it's more doctrinal. It's called, uh, the subtitle is Path of Discipleship. And it, in very real ways, it, he gives additional insight and in how to um, follow along this path until the, really the last chapter is, is culminating in the lofty blessings, right? Similar to the first one, but, it, and I'll just share this part. Um, in the book, uh, the first book, if you remember, one of his last journal entries was about talking about him receiving his calling and election made sure and what that was like, right? Do you guys remember that? Um, some of us have read it. Some of us probably haven't. So. Okay. So he, he wrote that in, in one of the blogs and that was included in the first book. In this book, but in that in that blog, he refers to him receiving the same experience three times, but the third time, the spirit said, "Write it down." So as he was writing his experience, um, or sorry, as he was writing it, it the whole visionary experience happened a third time, so he could capture it hmm. in his journal, and we share about 60% of that journal entry in the book. Okay. And it is an incredible um, entry. It was, uh, it was December 13th, 1993 was when he wrote that, that particular journal entry. And so uh, it is so profound. There were things we, we, we didn't feel comfortable putting in there, but there were incredible truths and, and really, the whole purpose of it is to help. It's not to say, hey, look, you know, look at this person. It's he's a regular guy, right? And that any of us can receive all of the Lord's promises and blessings if we follow the Spirit. And, and then soon after that, um, in Journey of the Bell 1, he talks about it. But he, he was uh, like the next day or two days later. He was walking down the hallway and he received this vision after his calling election. He received a vision of his whole life, kind of like a life review. And he saw all of those times when he followed the spirit, he made far forward progress. And then he saw all the way up until that very moment in the hallway. And then the spirit said loudly, like a loud voice write it down, like write this in a book, this process that you just observed of following the spirit. And so we share that journal entry as well. But um, the, the things that are in that book, um, it, it just really energizes and, and really drives home this it is totally possible. And the Lord wants us to receive all all the, the things that we are willing to receive, but according to his own timetable. And that's the thing that it needs to be tempered that people might get excited and say, hey, I, I want 
this for myself. But if there's even a hint of selfishness or a, a neglect of, you know, let's say, hey, I'm reading this spiritual book, so I don't have time to help you with your homework or whatever, you know, um, like, then we miss the point, right? Like, it's all about applying uh, the atonement and love for others um, in a balanced way. So any anything you want to uh, mention, Todd? I know you haven't read the book yet, but along those lines? Mm -mm. I don't know. <laughs> so it, it's, it's going to be, um, I will say Cedar Fort uh, said, the editor anyway, came back and said, this is this needs no editing basically other than just a few typos mm -hmm. and this is a powerful book and then the uh, the lady coordinating from cedar fort said i've never heard an th this particular editor say something like that hmm. interesting like, yeah. like so that was that was a good sign i guess mm -hmm. <laughs> good sign yeah, for sure. Um, let's go with Kathy and then we'll pop back to Janet in the chat. Um, I wanted to ask you if, was John always kind of a visionary man, like from his childhood and from his different experiences, or did he just gain kind of this as he grew older and through his, his life and the different challenges as he got sick and stuff? I wonder that yeah. that something that he was just kind of blessed with later or if he always was like that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, he, as far as I know, for reading his journals and, and everything, and, and I knew him when he, when he was alive for many years uh, at, at various uh, family functions, and, and uh, we had some, some, intimate, some intimate moments. But, you know, everything I know is he was a, a blue-collar worker, you know, worked for an oil pipeline. Um, he owned his own. He helped his dad, who was a vet. Um, he owned, uh, he, he farmed, um, he owned a, a storage unit company, like, you know, blue collar kind of person. Um, he wasn't involved in the diamond industry. Dang it. A little, well, <laughs> I, I'll say he, a little, a little bit. I think he knew, he knew about the industry, but I will say he was not like a diamond uh, broker or anything like that. Um, although he dabbled in a little bit. So, um, but he, there came a time in his life when everything, as you, you, you may have read, everything came crashing down on him. He was, he was losing his wife, losing his, in, in extension, parts of his family. He was losing, um, you know, there was this uh, various forms of uh, persecution. Uh, there was... Um, uh, IRS was after him for all these back taxes that he eventually didn't didn't actually uh, owe. But in the time, you know, he didn't know that. Um, and his business was failing because they shut down the road to his business, so nobody could even make it to 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 his business. And and then so basically, he said, "Lord, I have failed in every aspect of my life." I turn it over to you, my life over to you, whatever's left. And up to that point, you know, he had had obviously um, spiritual experiences, but nothing like visionary, right? Like very, very few things like that. Um, 
And when he turned his life over to the Lord, he said, I, I promise, I, he made a covenant that he would obey every prompting that he could discern. And that was the key. And he got very serious about following the, the promptings of the spirit. And he said his, it didn't magically solve all of his problems, but eventually um, things started to improve, but his spirituality took off uh, exponentially, right? And then, which eventually culminated in both a huge uh, trial of his life, the biggest trial of his life, and his his um, being able to receive um, his calling and election and a culmination in, in that lowest and highest point as that we were talking about. And after that, uh, the, ver the visionary experiences were much more common. And I, and I kind of liken it to, as I've thought about like, what, what is this, you know, why is that? And if you think about kind of like a college course, right? Like if life is like a college course and you pass the test, like the final exam, let's say you take the final exam early and you're kind of this uh, advanced, you know, student um, and, and, and you're, you're, you've already earned the credit. Well, the te the professor then can have you do research and helping the other students, right? And you can then focus because once you're you're, uh, you have your guaranteed credit, there's less um, need for, in this case, the veil, right? It's thinner because you've already passed the test in that, in that regard. Now, what I will say is there were some trials that came after his, that experience of, of receiving his, um, that blessing that everyone, and this is just my, my understanding of it, uh, even Abraham, everyone who's had um, that promise of eternal life also is given the opportunity to fall. And what I mean by that is to become uh, like Cain, right? And Abraham had that experience. Moses, do you remember, you remember when Moses, uh, he said he, he, Satan came and he feared and he saw the bitterness of hell right? And he was almost overcome. Well, he was in that moment, that was his opportunity to fall. And so it's not like uh, it's all roses, right? There's still um, things for the Lord wants the growth to have while you're alive on the earth. Um, but the visionary experiences were much more after that, that time. Wow, that's so inspiring. Um, I, I love that. Thanks for sharing. And then I have another kind of a weird question that I don't remember the book talking about. And my question is, I don't know if you can answer it, but um, didn't the calling and election made sure it used to be a formal thing that you were, you received from the presidency? And then is it still like that? Or is it a personal revelation? Todd? Um, all ordinances are physical and spiritual because let me suggest one possible reason why that's the case. 
one way of thinking of an ordinance is, is that something on earth is transforming into its heavenly form. So every ordinance will have a physical element to it because the whole idea of an ordinance is that the earth transforms and you transform and Zion is created here. Um, so there is a sequence of ordinances that are all part of what we call calling an election made sure. And it starts with the veil of the temple in the endowment. When you go through the endowment, when you go through the veil, I think it's pretty common that people think that that's death, right? It's not death, it's the second comforter. It's coming into the presence of the Lord in mortality. Before that, there's a sequence of things that happen that, that are also part of the calling and election nature, but I don't really wanna point that out in a public forum. Um, but if you think about, think about <clears throat> Moses and think about people like Alma, who converse with the Lord through the veil before they enter into his presence. Okay. Okay. And they receive calling election blessings. And then they move on in the temple endowment to have your marriage sealed, which is the calling and election made sure of an eternal union, of an eternal marriage. And then you move on to what the reference you are making, um, Kathy what is called the second anointing and the second anointing is the is the final and peak consummation of the calling and election ordinance sequence what it was really referred to by joseph smith is the fullness of the priesthood and this is where a lot of people think that that's the calling election made sure but it's more like that's the that's the concluding ordinance in this sequence of calling election major ordinances from the veil to the marriage to the fullness of the priesthood. And this is where you do things like the washing of the feet. And there is a lot of purpose toward purpose for that. But that's what you're referring to. So you're asking, is an ordinance required? Well, yeah, ordinances are required. Um, but there's a spiritual revelatory component and there's a physical component and it's not necessarily sequential. Okay. So as you, as you progress, yeah, you, you, you so, have all of those given to you. And then finally the physical has to happen. Okay. That helps a lot because like, obviously I don't have that, the calling election, like, obviously I don't have that, but I didn't know if it was like, just like, uh, um, your second, um, your baptism of fire or whatever. I didn't know if it was just like a spiritual thing that happened to you or if it was, like you said, like more of a progression that like it's more formal. So thank you. I think I think I understand better. So I, I could add a little a little understanding, perhaps some uh, at least from the things that uh, John has shared and others. Um, who have who have uh, received these things in in great confidence and great humility? They do not share these things lightly. In fact, John was under strict um, uh, command by the Lord not to share these things until the very end of his life, and he felt he felt um, constrained by the Spirit. And most people think constrained by the Spirit means 
to not do something. Actually, it's the opposite. It's to do something, right? Restrained means not to. So he felt the, the Lord took off the, the, that restriction so that people could, um, could at least in his case, uh, he's one, one um, you know, experience, but to be, believe and understand that it is, it is available and it's part of the gospel process. And, and everyone who's been through the temple and received those, those ordinances has received the physical part of the ordinance. So there's, a, there's always a physical and then a spiritual confirmation by the, the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of Promise. And my understandings on these things um, is that the, the Lord can, can give this spiritual part of the ordinance at any time when a person is ready. And the, and I will say, the presence of, of the Lord is in the room. You feel their presence. You are, you are literally in their presence. You hear the Father, uh, like in 2 Nephi 31, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. That is the calling and election made sure. And you hear the voice of the Father promise you those things. And you feel his presence. And other, th other blessings are confirmed, right? And that can happen anytime uh, that he, you know, chooses. When, when a person is qualified. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the, at some point, there has to be that physical part. But that's not my... And maybe his presence is that physical part. I don't know. Uh, okay. there's some there's something to think about there yeah thank you. that's one other thing i really love about john is that he like i remember when he did he only i think he only did one interview with spencer like a fireside and i loved how he said only it's only like 30 percent of what he told him like he was so good at discerning what to share what not to share you know, we've talked in this group a lot about throwing pearls before swine, like not, you know, not just throwing all of it out there for everyone that won't appreciate what we have to say. And that, I love that about him. And I've just wondered that for a long time and I didn't feel like I had a place to ask. So thank you. Think about like in the mosaic dispensation from, you know, where Moses, the, the greater priesthood was taken away um, and it was not delivered formally through ordinances to a covenant body. Joseph Smith taught that all the prophets from Moses to, to when Christ came during that Mosaic dispensation, they all had the greater priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, meaning Elijah and, you know, Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Malachi, Isaiah. He says, but they were, they were ordained by the Lord himself, by God himself. And, um, and they, of course, all had the gift of the Holy Ghost. So these, what we would call a greater priesthood set of ordinances, you can receive and be endowed with those things individually with the Father. And what's wonderful is all things are restored. The physical consummation of those things will be, um, be provided at some point. Um, but the Lord does everything in his timing and according to his way. So it's wonderful. No blessing will be denied to you if you seek it with all that you have. 
Yeah, thank you. So to Janet's question here, um, she asked, has Terry Pontius had any of these higher blessings that John wrote about? And I'd say kind of by extension, this has kind of come up a lot through our different discussions of um, many times we're, we're looking husband and wife and it's like, okay, well, um, it, what things are had together, like what things are, are meant to uh, to be spousal and what things are individual and, and stuff like that. Um, so just kind of touching along that line, any insights you got? Yeah. Um, what I'll say is um, Terry, uh, John felt that when he, that, that Terry was every bit of his equal and that they were equally yoked. And it, they said, she told me when they first got married, there was no opposition. It was, they had both been through difficult, many difficult, difficult trials and marriages. And, um, and by coming together, the Lord completely blessed them. And they, they grew so close and they knew that they were meant to be eternal companions. And so I, so without answering it uh, directly, that she's every, every much uh, his equal every bit as much um, i'm just kind of catching up on the chat here um so these are i think are just kind of more comments versus questions but um in our final video anybody that's watching this after the fact um i heard and, and this is jenna owens i heard john speak when he was alive and i was impressed with what an ordinary person he seemed to be. It was hard for me to believe he had written such incredibly intelligent and spiritual things. He had a greater understanding and ability to interpret scripture than anyone had ever read. And then um, Neil uh, says, when I was on a mission in 80 through 82, my mission president, whose mission president was Bruce R. McConkie, in answering a question in a private setting with a few of us missionaries said, at least at that time, the prophet received by direct revelation those who were to receive the actual second endowment. So yeah, just kind of uh, bouncing off of what we've discussed here. Um, let's see. Looking at, at some of these other questions, if anybody has any others, uh, feel free to interrupt me. But um, So this is one of my own questions actually of translation. So sometimes growing up, we've kind of pigeonholed or, or figured that translation was like such and such versus it seems like it's, it's more open-ended. Like there are many martyrs that um, have laid down their lives yet in a translation fashion or that there's different um, missions or end goals of, of translated beings. Um, and so, <laughs> I don't know, this is uh, kind of uh, a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing, but maybe not, I don't know, of um, Terry Pontius's forward to the Triumph of Zion audiobook uh, says that he's more active on the earth now than, uh, or I don't, I forget exactly how it's worded, but um, just any insights into the translation process as we've studied through, uh, you know, Gileadi's uh, works of the seraphim level and, and all of that. Um, can there be, um, are death and translation mutually exclusive or is there some overlap? I don't know. That's kind of a mouthful. Sorry, but <laughs> whatever insights oh, you, you might have. That's a great question. Um, 
If you have any thoughts, Todd, I can talk to. But... Go ahead first, my doctor. Okay, so, right. Um, so if you think about, uh, of course, we know translation is a lesser state, physical state uh, than the resurrection uh, or a celestial resurrection. And of course, the scriptures are actually, they use the term resurrection uh, in, in multiple ways. So for example, when the savior comes, he says that we will be, there will be a resurrection of, uh, th those will be caught up to meet him or morning of the first resurrection and that they will, those saints will arise and live into the millennium, right? But then curiously later, it says they will be about the age of a tree and then twinkled and changed in the twinkling of an eye to again, right? A, a, another level. And so you ask yourself, well, what is that state when the savior comes for the saints who will be caught up to meet him in that, in that resurrection? And I would put forward that that is the terrestrial state or akin, something akin to translation. And that we can't skip the millennial period, like, like the, the, the terrestrial period. There's a lot for us to learn in the terrestrial state, right? There's a thousand years of, of things to learn to prepare us for the celestial, um, to live the celestial law. To, to, to receive a poor, the, the celestial uh, glory. And so the same holds true, I would say, for this earth. So think of, um, of this life. So we are in the telestial world. We have telestial bodies. They will die. And <clears throat> if the Lord can take a person from a telestial state, let's say in the ground, you know, or in ashes, whatever, and raise them either to a terrestrial body or a celestial body for that matter. If he can raise them to a celestial level, he could also raise them to a terrestrial level. So all things are possible with God and that the the, the terrestrial level of, of, of resurrection is something that is uh, logical and will happen a lot as, as we move into the millennium, which is, which is akin to translation. Anything else, Todd, you want to mention? Yeah. Um, so what if, let me just suggest a possible way of thinking about it. And I don't, I can kind of walk through DNC 88 and make a, a scriptural case, but let me just sort of throw this out there and let you just kind of chew on this, if, if this tastes good or not. Just along the lines of what Herrick was saying, let's not think of translation as necessarily all of a sudden having a body that you can live on earth and then run around in, and, and you don't feel pain or die anymore. Think of translation as a condition of the spirit when it's quickened by a celestial law. Okay. Which means the spirit is capacitated and quickened sufficient to receive a celestial resurrection. And, and what that means without taking a lot of time to maybe talk through this, 
what it means is that it's a spirit that has brought into perfect subjection ma the material of a telestial world, like of a, of a telestial body. So your spirit is so refined that the physical body now yields to the spirit. And you've brought it under complete subjection through the atonement of Christ into a covenant structure that is sufficiently possessed with enough light that you will no longer die according to the flesh. Does, does that make sense? So it's actually a spiritual condition. It's a spiritual covenantal condition that one receives. So whether or not that person in that condition is on earth moving around or is in or passes on to the next life and is what Joseph Smith and the scriptures refer to as a, um, as a um, just man made perfect. So study that concept, that principle of a just man made perfect. It's in the scriptures, but Joseph Smith talks about it a lot. And it's a spiritual condition. And so in the, in the covenant structure, it's the second anointing that is the that is the translation ordinance or part of it. That's where you're initiated into a translation, the second anointing. Um, and it's also the sealing power where you can bind um, on earth and bind in heaven. And it's also the priesthood power to, to the degree where you can control element. And the reason is, is that You've gone in your own personal life through a sanctification process sufficient to inherit a celestial, um, um, celestial uh, resurrection. It also means that you have a quickened spirit sufficient to manage material, including your own body. So let's not think of it maybe necessarily as being able to run around, maybe be like John or the three Nephites, John the Beloved. But you are in a quickened condition that gives you the possibility of taking on flesh and um, operating on the earth or operating in, in um, the other world. I don't know if that makes sense at all. But translation is probably more of a spiritual condition than a physical condition. And it seems that to me, as I've learned about it, <clears throat> the Savior is talking about in, in various scriptures where he says that the the light of the body is the eye, right? Or the, uh, and that that eye that is full of light, that that body shall be full of light. Or the eye that is full of darkness, how great is that darkness, right? In other words, when he's talking about the body being full of light, like that's a literal thing, and it's and it's changing the flesh, right? In in the sense that. Uh, it's being filled with the spirit and your spirit is, is, is being closer and more unified to, to that body, your cells, right? And they're spiritually being uh, changed in some way. And that's also referred to in many places as, as the uh, quickening of the body, um, even in DNC 84. And so, um, which is the culmination. Uh, it's interesting that it's in 84 because that's talking about priesthood, right? As Todd was mentioning, that this is all connected. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, just 
picture. Um, so there was one line in the book this last week as we were studying in chapter 10, and I would just like to kind of get your guys' insights on it. Uh, let me pop it up here on the screen. So the I, I love how John like gives like these little teasers <laughs> all throughout it for, for deeper study and, and everything. I'm not expecting like uh, us to... Uh, figure out exactly what he was talking about because I think it's all a, a personal journey here but there highlighted in blue was was just such a interesting comment that I want to read that and then read kind of the text around it to kind of just chat about it a little bit so it says this is in the section of the second comforter it says there is a greater purpose even than that one which powers the mighty mainspring of eternity and engages the gears of everlasting law when that purpose becomes the only light that burns in our hearts, not just one of many flickering desires, but when our eye becomes single to this aspect of the glory of God, of God, then our hearts will be pure indeed, then the heavens will open, and the one whom Holy Writ calls Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, will step through the veil. So, I, I mean, it's just like one of the, the greatest teasers of, of the book. I, I love how he writes it. But, um, in that context, what is it saying? Because he never deliberately mentions it. And so obviously we need to study it out, but um, uh, kind of going back a, a couple of paragraphs to kind of give context to that, that, uh, that insight there. It says, we covered the second comforter in priesthood and seeing God. What we might yet say regarding this and all other principles of the greater portion blessings is its purpose. While there may be many just reasons that God shows himself to man in our day. We are taught of just one pure desire that will allow us to ask, seek, knock, and have the heavens open to us. Heavenly Father's house is a house of order, which not only implies orderliness and organization, but also sequentiality. Line upon line, precept upon precept, in a divinely ordained pattern that is used again and again. Since this desire of which we speak has scripturally yielded this glorious blessing, it must do so every time that it is righteously applied. It may appear more obvious to desire the second comforter to exult in the presence of the Savior, to worship at his feet, to have the privilege of beholding his face, and tearfully thanking him for the gift of his atoning blood shed for our expense. But as righteous as those things are, such a motivation is nowhere listed as sufficient to part the heavens. And then comes uh, the sentence that I uh, quoted earlier. There is a greater purpose even than that, one which powers the mighty mainspring of eternity and engages the gears of everlasting law. When that purpose becomes the only light that burns in our hearts, not just one of many flickering desires, but when our eye becomes single to the aspect of the glory of God, then our hearts will be pure indeed. So um, just any insights or uh, pointing us in the right direction so that we might be able to study and commune with the spirit and, and receive that answer to what he's alluding to there. I don't know, that might be a tall order, but <laughs> any insights you got? Yeah, can I start with this one, Eric? Of course. Um, what does it mean to be in the church of the first It means that you are of the same order and pattern of the firstborn. And you have the same desires of the firstborn. The firstborn is an interesting concept to study. 
because the firstborn got a double portion of the inheritance. And the reason was, it's because they are charged with continuing the kingdom. Um, the order of the firstborn are those who desire to condescend, meaning condescend, meaning to descend, con is with and descend, to go down with others by virtue of sacrifice to bless them and to bring them into the presence of the Lord. So when your desire becomes single to the sacrifice and blessing of others, that is what makes you of the order of the firstborn. So if you want to seek the second comforter blessings for and on behalf of yourself, the Lord loves that. He loves that you want to come to him and you desire those things. But if you want to throw gas on the fire and become of his order, you will desire to do it for others. And then you start looking at the pattern of the scriptures and you see that that's playing out in all of these prophetic examples. One example, you have in, is it, is it uh, Mosiah 25 or 26, when Alma receives the second, the calling election picture of voice from the heavens. I think it's in 26. And it's the next chapter that an angel comes down on behalf of his son and reclaims his son. That's when Alma the Younger gets his. <laughs> and I believe that those are very, very closely connected. Um, all of the examples that I can think of in the scriptures are examples of those who desire at any cost to bless the father's children. And that makes you of the order of the firstborn because you are the same order and you have the same desires as the savior. I come to do this for my father's children. If you take it upon yourself, I want to seek the presence of the Lord so I can be endowed with power to bring others to him. That is the key to unlocking that blessing. Yeah. Amen. And uh, L said that as we, as you were talking in the chat. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to say exactly the same desire that John the Beloved and the three Nephites had that they didn't even express. And that is why the, the Savior responded as he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I love kingdoms that. They went to because of what they desired differently. <laughs> yeah, the kingdom of the Father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's why. When I was going through, um, we did Isaiah decoded uh, before Triumph of Zion and chapter six, the son servant level. Uh, I, I mean, cause I was pretty new to everything, right? And uh, during kind of like this wakening up to, to profound things was, oh, I was trying to jump ahead to like translation, but I was like, there's, there's many other steps in between here. And that son servant category, looking at King Hezekiah, and then uh, the things that, that Todd was talking about there, that, that, that order, fulfilling that order and, and that sacrifice um, uh, was really uh, huge. It was a whole paradigm shift for me of uh, this holy world that um, I, I was in essence trying to like skip over <laughs> kind of a thing, but yet uh, the, the rich blessings that uh, can be had through, through that. Chapter six was, was awesome for me. It oh, goes right in line. 
And Christ says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. That is, that is the pattern. Like if you go to the Lord, I need to sanctify myself so I have, I'm capacitated to bless my children or whoever. That is what turns the key. And it, it is really literally like pouring gas on the fire. Yeah, I, I love that too. It, it, I believe that is the son servant level because you're willing to descend for others, right? You're willing to sacrifice. And if you think about it, um, when 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 we we see in the scriptures that we we must follow the son in all things, that is literal in all things. Now it's a it's a it's a small. Uh, it, it's a small way in which we do that, right? It, it, it's, it, it's, it, but each aspect of the Savior's life and ministry and, and, and sacrifice, including his sacrifice, um, we are to follow him in all things, even if it's just in similitude, right? In a very small degree that we go through those, but it's the same pattern. And I think, uh, does that make sense so any any thoughts there tom i just can't agree more i can't agree more um, i think I'll, i think it's very easy to lust after spiritual experiences and um <clears throat> i think if you find the desire for these blessings solely for yourself i think it's a good indication to take a step back and say why exactly do i want the blessings that I want. And it's a good soul searching move to, to do that, right? Like, why am I seeking my calling and election made sure? Is it because I want to have something, you know, do I want something that will put me on a hierarchy, <laughs> you know, of having spiritual experiences? But if you go to the Lord and you purify your heart by making your eyes single, like Herrick said, um, to his glory, and you get you become full of the love of others, and then you say, I am willing to sacrifice whatever is required of me to bless your children, and I will make that the dominant meaning and, and, and purpose of my life. You, you'll, you will become part of that order. And he will sanctify you and he will make manifest the works of the father through you in the same way that the works of the father were made manifest through him. Yeah. Amen. This, uh, Abraham talks a lot about the Davidic covenant and this is exactly what we're talking about. Um, King Hezekiah, if you remember, there was an army of a, of 185,000 soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. And he was nigh unto death. And he was pouring out his, his soul to God for in behalf of his people, right? And Isaiah came and said, you will die. And he was, he was willing to die. And that's even, even that sometimes is enough the willingness to die. God doesn't always ask. He may ask it, and he does of some, but even the willingness is enough. And in the case of Hezekiah, to give your life, right? Like he who, he who um, seeks his life shall lose it. 
he who gives his life shall find it, right? That, this is the principle we're talking about. And the Davidic covenant that, that he makes, he made with, with uh, the house of David also applies to all of us. And in the most ultimate sense, it's the Savior. And he was the highest level of that covenant fulfilled. And in this scenario, what happened was in Hezekiah's scenario, that the people, uh, the, the, the enemy said to the people, open the gates and we'll let you live. And Hezekiah said, no, do not listen to them. Um, pray and fast to the Lord and, and uh, listen to me and God will deliver us. And had the people feared because, you know, certain destruction, right? Nobody could stand against a force like that. Uh, no flesh. <clears throat> but because they obeyed Hezekiah, right, as this emperor vassal covenant, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, yeah, emperor vassal, and the, the vassal in this case was Hezekiah, and the people obeyed his covenant, and he obeyed the emperor's law, right? And because they obeyed his law, he obeyed the emperor's law, in this case, the savior, then they are blessed with divine protection and physical protection. And that night, an angel, uh, the destroying angel came and wiped out all 185,000, except King Sennacherib uh, himself. And he went uh, alone home. And then a few months later, one of his sons took his life, right? So even killed him. And, but we can, in, a, in a, each of our families, that's the son-servant level, be that for each other. And that once we are that, we are willing to sacrifice in the Davidic covenant, just in similar in a much smaller degree as the Savior did, then we are also providing protection and salvation to our own sphere of influence, those in our care. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Kathy says, um, the thing I loved most of this book was it helped me feel like it's all achievable. Becoming pure in heart is actually something I could do with the Savior's help. And yeah, I, <laughs> I iterate that as well. Like this, that was the most comforting thing about uh, Triumph of Zone. It's just, everything's achievable. It's just uh, kind of like what uh, Todd was mentioning there, like you, you find the pattern, you learn how it works, and then you start fulfilling it, and it starts unlocking things, um, and so it's all very, very doable, you just got to know, and learn, and, and do kind of thing, that ask, seek, and knock principle, um, and then um, that's how we become a Zion people through sacrifice, uh, a comment by L in the chat there, amen, all right, so any uh, final comments from anyone before we kind of uh, tie things up for the night? It's been on such a- sacrifice, On that sacrifice note, if you, in whatever dimension your life is, whether you have kids, you have a spouse, extended family, you have a calling, like say you're over the young women's or you're over the young men or whatever you do, if you go to the Lord and say, what sacrifice? can I do willingly in order 
to soften the hearts of those to whom I want to minister for their behalf. And you ask that question with real intent. He will bless you to know what you can do and what you can offer up on their behalf. And if you do that with an eye single to his glory and to the blessing of other people, and you consistently rehearse that pattern, um, he will increase you with spiritual manifestation and ascension almost faster than you'll be able to manage it. He will give you to, to the point and maybe just beyond of what you almost can possibly handle. If you will engage in a pattern of, I will, I desire to sacrifice for other people. So this can be done. You can be the quote unquote least in the kingdom. You can be the nursery leader or whatever, you know, you can be some primary teacher in your little corner of the world and say, okay, I have these six little primary kids. What sacrifice can I go through to bless these little seven-year-old kids, you know? And if you do that with intention, by your own free will and choice, and you consistently go through that pattern, your spiritual growth will be just at the boundary of you being able to manage it. And knowledge will pour onto you and, and power and manifestation. Yeah, thank you. I love that. It's such an important principle. I, <laughs> it's really resonating with me. You will build Zion. Mm -hmm. If you do that, you will build Zion. If Zion will not be resisted if you take that pattern. Yeah, thank you. Um, anything else from, from anybody before we close up for the night it's been so fun <laughs> having these uh two great minds in here with our our group study we wish we could have you every single week but um yeah it, it's been awesome um well i just uh say thank you for uh todd and, and herrick to jump on here and their willingness to, to come and share their testimonies um any kind of final thoughts that you want to leave us with or, or anything or I don't know <laughs> anything that we missed. I tried to cover as many questions as uh, I could think of, but um, so I can just say um, I'm, you know, uh, just a regular person. I mean, I'm no nobody special in that regard. We're all special, equally special, I should say. Um, and um, you know, I've been privileged to to have a, a remarkable. Um, relation relations uh but we all have an amazing uh, heritage as children of god and you know I, uh, all the mistakes that i was mentioning about balance is be, i know a little bit about that because i made all those mistakes <laughs> and and i've learned uh through some hard uh hard the school of hard knocks um how important it is to stay in balance and um but if we finally learn those lessons, then it was all worth it, right? And and the Savior's Atonement covers that learning, the ability to learn while we're figuring things out. Uh, otherwise, all would be lost, right? If we can't actually learn from those things. So um, I just 
I'm so grateful to all of you and uh, to get to know you guys a little bit, even on the, just the chat. I wish um, maybe, maybe I'll come back once in a while just to learn from you guys. Uh, I want to hear your insights as well. Um, and uh, this has been a really uh, a fun treat. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. Um, so just uh, housekeeping, I guess. So next week we'll be starting into the Book of Nelson. Uh, we're going to do lectures on faith after we study President Nelson's words. But for next week, um, we're going to do uh, all of President Nelson's talks from the April 2018 General Conference. Uh, deep dive in those. And so uh, that's the big one. <laughs> yeah, it's big one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, let's end with with a prayer. I'm just calling on Nancy Wheeler. Would you offer us a, a closing prayer? <laughs> Cameron. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity we had to gather together tonight over Zoom to learn so many great and wonderful concepts and, and principles that we can use to bring ourselves closer to Thee, to bring ourselves more in line with what Thou would have us do with our lives. We ask that Thou would help us to ponder these things, to give us more insight and to bring us deeper understanding as we put forth the effort to study, to learn and to sanctify ourselves. We thank thee so much for our Savior and for everything he has done for us. And we pray for these things in his holy name even Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. <laughs> we will see Good everyone night. next week. Uh, thanks for joining us. And Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.